Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Handy Camping Center, 4387 US 421 in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Family owned and operated since 1976 with coach brands such as Flagstaff and Salem and every part your camper may need. Handy Camping Center, proud to have welcomed NASCAR back to North Wilkesboro Speedway. What a weekend. Today's guest, Mike, the director of Powertrain from Hendrick Motorsports. Which I, you know, he's getting ready to tell us exactly what he does, but I assume it's a big deal because Hendrick has four full-time cars in the NASCAR Cup Series, additionally 12 Cup teams, five Xfinity teams, and two truck 
Series teams use Hendrick engines. So there you go. Hailing from the state of Maine, he cut his teeth racing with his uncle at a local short track, worked at an engine building shop while in high school, worked with Ricky Craven from 1984 to 1998. In 1991, Ricky won the Oxford 250 up north. That's a huge deal. He was also part of the Hendrick 123 finish in the 1997 Daytona 500. Welcome to the podcast, Scott Maxim. Scott, say hi to Mike Wallace. Hey, Mike. Uh, great to be with you this afternoon. Well, thank you, Scott. Appreciate it, man. That, those intros excite me. Thank yeah. you. That's what they're designed yeah, to do. Yeah, they, man, it's like, okay, show's over. So, I can't, you know, <laughs> I've got to listen to this show now. Yes. That's what everybody says. Yeah, so Scott, just to uh, make you aware of, this, this show is being listened to by who, Jeff? The whole world is listening, Mike. The Scott, whole don't be nervous. The whole world. The whole world is listening. Is listening. <laughs> Oh, that sounds great. Well, I'm glad that we can uh, we can have it on a uh, on a day that we've had some success and a good weekend. There you go. And right? uh, yeah, once again, it's great to be with you guys. Hey, I want to uh, you know, I, I, as I explained to you, the show's all about you, and we're going to get to all about you in a moment. But I have to start the show a little different than normal. This past weekend, Jeff, as you know, we all know, it was North Wilkesboro, the return. Right. What, you know, the, from what I understand, and I didn't get to go, but I saw everything on TV, the festivities, concerts and everything was like so it was like Woodstock for the weekend. You know, it seems that way. And I'm going to ask Scott directly. He was there. His uh, his cars, the two Hendrick cars, won the open, right. the, the all star open and all star race. Yeah. So, uh, Scott, how about telling us then the fans listening just a little bit about you? Maybe your team's thought, your thoughts. You're a nostalgia guy. You've been around since the 90s in NASCAR racing. Um, other than maybe needing to be just a little bit more competitive on the racetrack, how, how was North Wilkesboro? Was it, was it worth all the hype? Yeah, I think it really was. And commend, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Smith family and uh, NASCAR for, uh, you know, for all the effort that went into it. Um, you know, really from the point we got there, when we were parking, we could just see the fans that were there and the enthusiasm. Um, you know, there everybody was tailgating and, and uh, you know doing up uh, uh, food out in the um, in the parking lots. A uh, lot of energy everywhere we went, and you know they had a lot of effort that they put into the facility, but they also kept a lot of the nostalgia. So it was it was great to see. It was very interesting how. You know, you see the modern day technology of um, of our cars and, and our equipment and just in general overall what we know to be current. And then off in the distance over the transporters in the cars, right, would see the, you know, the, the classic, uh, you know, red and white uh, of NASCAR of the 90s. Uh, so it was really uh, it was a wonderful event and uh, love the energy and the enthusiasm from all the fans in the crowd. Well, it appears that Hendrick Motorsports started this new era of racing at North Wilkesboro the same way they ended it. They won. By winning. <laughs> yes, by winning. <laughs> so, uh, Scott. Yes. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, I was at both of them. And, uh, yeah, what a crazy uh, time, certainly in between uh, when we left there, that we would uh, that we would come back and, and really under such uh, fanfare. It was pretty cool. And oh. Kyle Larson, apparently there was no shortage uh of power 
Yeah, so under the hood, right? Yeah. So that, that's what you call a segue in the business. But but first, I've got to just say, for me, the highlight of the show had to have been Kyle's wife shotgunning a beer on the front stretch. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, a credit to her for that. That's that's pressure right that there. Was great. Yeah, I tell you what, she steps up to that pressure and plays to that crowd, man. She's so good at it because I, my wife and I were watching the race via television, you know, and we're listening. And it's like. Oh my gosh, she got a bigger ovation than the winner did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so yeah. I, I love it. Pass it on to her if you know. Welcome her. Welcome to Wilkesboro. What if, what if she did that at Talladega? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's they cool. give her the key I, to the city. Yeah, I love yeah. just the way she. Uh, you know, she's a racer. I believe her brother is, uh, or bro, his brother-in-law is uh, Brad Sweet, who races sprint mm -hmm. cars. Yeah. So she's yeah. real yeah, so in tune to racing and all that, and, uh, and so excited about that. But I'll tell you what we're going to do now, we're going to go back in time. Scott, I'm going to ask you and all of our fans, you know, the race world, the guys in the garage area, you, you're famous, man. Everybody knows who you are. And But the race fans don't know everything that goes into motorsports, and you're a key catalyst to the success of Hendrick Motorsports. You're a... head of powertrain development. What is powertrain? Exactly. I was going to say, so... so you know, explain to us exactly what the director of powertrain does for Hendrick Motorsports or any of these race teams. Yeah, get us there, and then we'll go back in time. Yeah, sure, no worries. Well, you know, basically it's just, uh, you know, working in the engine department. Basically it just, you know, over uh, engine operations for, uh, for Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, and, and powertrain would be inclusive of basically getting the power to the rear wheels um not not quite the same as it once was in terms of like the transmissions and the the rear gears as we uh as we previously knew you know with the uh with the next gen car that's a transaxle in the back and that's that's become as really more of uh within the each individual car shop now but you could think of it as in terms of just uh, you know just helping head up and, and working together in our engine department to uh, head up the operations Okay, that's enough for now. You got to figure it out. You know, but we're going to talk about it more. I, I want to go back. Yeah. I'm excited about his early era in racing. So, Scott, well, what we do on the show to all the fans is take me back, if you would, in your words, back to the first time you remember some interest in motorsports. And oh, boy, then, then yeah. Now, that makes you a little, probably really young or a little kid or something like that, but... Everybody wants to know. And, and who's listening, Jeff? I forgot. The whole world. The whole world. Like, okay. Whole so, world. and uh, <laughs> so it, this is all in your words. Take me back to whenever and let's start and talk our way forward. Sure. Well, you know, the whole world in that respect would be uh, Unity, Maine, and uh, Wiscasset, Maine at uh, Unity Raceway and Wiscasset Speedway. And my uncle, uh, Jimmy Burns, who was a, you know, a, uh, a famous racer from back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, you know, I would, uh, our family would go to the track and would watch in the stands as a young kid. And, you know, my, my uncle was, uh, he was a, a hero of mine and uh, a mentor, uh, really owe so much to him. But he also was a, a character that was second to none. Uh, he was probably a part Clint Eastwood and part Steve McQueen and uh, part, uh, you know, pretty good you, know, you name it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, he, um, so I loved being around him. Uh, and, you know, I really enjoyed, um, 
you know, certainly the energy and, you know, his, his, uh, love for racing and competing. So basically it just, you know, as I started out as a kid in the stands as a fan and then, um, really about when I got into my early teens, uh, he, um, you know, he, he took me into his house for a couple of weeks in the summer and would work on his race car together. And, you know, I just started, it was really the very beginnings of working mechanically on a car. And, you know, from there, uh, really he, he helped, uh, get, get, uh, get me a position in a local engine shop. And I was like, 15 years old and that's really when i met my second mentor uh dave mcmaster who um you know had a uh, uh engine shop in maine that really grew into be you know a, a large and well-known throughout the new england states um and and my uncle jimmy basically um you know got me started there and you know we we all worked together you know from there uh you know, we worked together and uh, had a team. We started to compete in uh, Oxford Plain Speedway uh, in Oxford, Maine, and um, won the uh, track championship there together with, uh, you know, with um, my Uncle Jimmy uh, in 1983 and 84. And that was really the beginnings for me of working together as a team and, and just finding that bond uh, that you get by by just you know as, as you know Mike you know just the team working together late hours overcoming challenges uh, you know having to meet whatever obstacles are in front of you uh, you know be it wrecked race cars or or other mechanical issues and uh, and competing right and so mm-hmm. we, we just had a great time like that and that was really the beginning of it well, that's wonderful. Let me uh, go back to the engine shop itself. Was that a strictly a race engine shop, or was it just like the local machine shop slash engine shop that w- you guys worked on everything? Yeah, it was the local machine shop, um, but but primarily, you know, there was a lot of focus on racing, um, and it was really it was an ideal place for me to learn, and really anybody. So many folks that went through there. Uh, learned of the, uh, you know, just of, of of the different skills required, you know, especially back then in Maine in the mid '80s. I mean, there was, you know, the population density isn't, uh, you know, wasn't wasn't extreme, right? So you couldn't you couldn't do any one thing and focus on, especially as you were growing. We we became a, a fairly large, uh, you know, a shop, and you know, you really had to be diversified. So shoot, we worked on a lot of oval track racing engines. Uh, we did offshore marine diesel engines, worked on Caterpillars, Cummins, uh, you know, you name it, things like that. A lot of machine work, um, you know, and you just learned it was, it was a great, uh, ground to learn from. We learned how to just mechanically do so much. I mean, anything from, you know, the various forms of automotive machine work, cylinder head rebuilding, engine rebuilding to, uh, you know, just general machine work of dealing with how to manage and overcome, you know, uh, uh, you know, broken fasteners and blocks and, and cylinder heads. And we worked on European cars. I mean, it was, uh, it was really a great training ground, uh, that provided a good platform really, uh, 
you know, has got into more advanced mechanical areas. Well, there you go. Boy, that is a diverse background in regards to engines and machines. Hey, hey, Scott, so many of the people in your arena these days have an engineering degree. Is that the path you followed or is... No, it's not. Uh, I I would love to have had that opportunity and time. You know, I think back then it was just, you know, I was, I had this opportunity. Uh, I went from part-time to full-time and it was right there and I was learning so much on a daily basis that, uh, you know, that I, I stayed and continued to do that. And not, you know, I think back to those times, man, I had, uh, Dave McMaster is another one of just been been a key person in my life. Uh, you know, I'll never be able to pay forward, you know, to others to the level that, you know, that he has to me. I mean, you know, here's a guy that I was 15 years old and in high school and didn't have a license yet. And he would come by uh, at the bus stop and pick me up off the uh, off the school bus. He'd leave his work, drive four or five miles, pick me up, and we'd go back to his shop and would work till six, seven, or eight o'clock at night. And so back you know, then they were was... looking for help too. Then, huh? Um, oh yeah, the job yeah. Training. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm trying to be funny there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we just it was, but it was a great, uh, great opportunity, and I learned so much. Through the later years, um, you know, I've worked with so many engineers that, you know, I've also it probably provided me a good, uh, you know, a, a good platform for that. It really truly takes a team, and not everybody has to be an engineer, uh, but we need we need some of that education and intelligence and knowledge that that we can call upon, and. Then we need a balance of that with racing knowledge and savvy. And, you know, it, it just takes a true team as diversified skill sets. And, That's a pretty good but way to everybody describe willing to, to work together. A little bit of everything. The education background, the racing know-how, uh, mechanical background, you know. I just thought about a deal I was involved with a few years ago, and this is a compliment to you, Scott. There was a company called – educational program called ICAR, which is part of Clemson University. Mm -hmm. And they were, when I was there just visiting, they were telling me they were working on a program for BMW. And I said, what's the program? And they go, well, we're trying to train a capable couple people to have common sense to deal with the 85 engineers that work on this particular car. And they go, what do you mean? I said, they said, well, the taillight guy doesn't have just simple common sense talking ethic he can't talk to the headlight guy and the blinker guy can't talk to the windshield wiper guy but they're all really smart in that area and i just need somebody that doesn't have to be an engineer but just can get the point across so uh i don't know when he discussed that's how it all comes together yeah Yeah, it all comes together in a nice piece so uh (laughs) it's good that you were able to have that unity in that and uh man i think we're uh that's a good place for a break. It's a good opportunity to take a time out right here. We'll come back and talk more with the director of powertrain for Hendrick Motorsports off a busy weekend in North Wilkesboro. Scott Maxim with us, and you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speedsport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media.
On April 4th, 1976, Cale Yarborough, racing for Junior Johnson at the time, beat Richard Petty to the checkered flag after leading 364 laps of the Gwynn Stanley 400 at North Wilkesboro. And four miles down the street, Robert Handy Camping was born that very same year. Family owned and operated since 1976 in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Mama, Scott, and Robert are always happy to take care of all your camping needs. With coach brands like Flagstaff and Salem and every part your camper may need. Handy Camping is located at 4387 US 421 in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Race fans, see you there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Speedsport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Brought to you today by Handy Camping Center, 4387 U.S. 421 in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Family owned and operated since 1976. Coach brands such as Flagstaff and Salem at every part your camper may need. Handy Camping Center, proud to have welcomed NASCAR back to the North Wilkesboro Speedway. Scott Maxim, director of Powertrain for Hendrick Motorsports, our guest. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, I kind of jumped off there as Scott's direction was going, but we're going to go back to Oxford Speedway. That's where um, sounds like it, the real racing. Some heat. big things happened back in the day. Yeah. So, Scott, take us back to Oxford after you'd, you're working in the engine shop, that multi-purpose engine shop, race engine shop. You guys are going out to, uh, you know, Oxford, Maine and winning the championship. Pick it up there. Yeah. Hey, Mike, sure. So we uh, Oxford Oxford Plain Speedway back then was probably the the, the biggest uh, and most competitive, I guess, in terms of like regional and and really East Coast uh, racing. So you know you certainly had to be on your game there. And um, you know we we learned we we ra- we were racing together there, and really that was about the time that uh, I guess just try, kind of thinking back, that was. Um, when I was in my late teens and, and was building engines and working on them and, and working on a race team at the track. And really I got to know this other young kid that, um, that at that time we'd done a little bit of work for. Um, and I, I really enjoyed spending some time with him and we were both younger at that point that, uh, you know, a lot of the folks back then were, probably I think of them as being older, but shoot, they're probably in there like late twenties to mid thirties. But, you know, that was when I first met Ricky Craven and, um, you know, we were both in our teens. And so we, we really struck, uh, struck a great friendship, um, way back then and, um, started to work together more closely on his race cars, did more engine work. Uh, and, you know, really, that that formed the basis, really, for the shoot for the rest of um, really right to this point. Uh, really, was was uh, a lot of 
of the groundwork that was laid by working with Ricky. So, Scott, where where is, uh, and I know Ricky's from Maine, but whereabouts? Same area, Unity, Oxford, that area? Yeah, he's from uh, Newburgh, Maine, which was like about 60 or 70 miles uh, further north and east of, uh, of where I'm from, Augusta. And, uh, but he, he would, you know, the racetracks that, that raced at were all, you know, they were all common. And, you know, we, back then it was yeah 19, I had a blast. I still, I've got this picture I need to send Ricky. It's, um, it's one my uncle, um, had, um, had signed for him and he has since passed away, but he, um, you know, they, I built both of those engines at our shop and they finished one, two in, uh, in Wiscasset. And I thought I was, you know, I thought I was, I was back then, you know, you thought you were a, a damn hero, you know, for, uh, you know, for what we were doing back then, but it was, you know, you look back on it now and I smile and laugh, but it's, it's certainly, certainly a memorable, uh, point in, uh, in my career, uh, because it was two guys that I, you know, I hold so close and care so much about. And, um, so that was, that was back in 1984. And then, you know, yeah, Ricky and I just started to, um, you know, race together and what really did you guys race to, when you started racing together? What what type of vehicle were you racing? Those were late model late model stocks, and then that really and Mike, you'll remember this. Um, in 1987, Ricky started to race um, for um, EJ Prescott, um, and Peter Prescott was the uh, team owner, and it was in the American Canadian Tour Series, and so we. Ricky and I did that together. Um, you know, in Maine at that time, you really couldn't be full time and race. I mean, it was very difficult to, there's only a few folks that, uh, you know, could, for the most part, everybody had their day jobs and then did, did, uh, did racing in large part as a hobby. And, you know, that's what we did though, man. And we were committed to it. And we, uh, you know, we, we raced in the American Canadian tour series from uh, 87 through 1989 uh, and traveled all around Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Quebec, New York, Pennsylvania. And uh, I think even uh, oh, we raced, if you remember, uh, like uh, London, Ontario, Sable Beach. Uh, so we traveled, traveled around a lot. That was a really good training ground and, and another level of, of, working as a team that uh, that helped form you know the basis for everything else that followed so paint the picture for us the fans are sitting there thinking 1987-1989 young kid by the name of ricky craven another young boy by the name of scott maximum racing they're they're doing okay what does everything look like in that era meaning what kind of truck and trailer did you have that you went to the racetrack in what kind of shop or garage did you work out of you know, we had a um, we had a shop at uh, it was another place of business that uh, it was a uh, EJ Prescott is a well known national um, distributor of uh, uh, plumbing and piping systems for uh, highways and infrastructure, and so the race shop was there. We had a um, you know like a Chevy Suburban, and and funny that you mentioned that because you know 
Peter had a flair for, um, you know, for, for marketing and just, uh, just, uh, he's great, great guy. Ricky and I both love the heck out of him and learned so much from him from a business perspective. Uh, but we had this, uh, Chevy Suburban that was painted like the race car and it had uh, the decals on the fenders and oh, really? <laughs> numbers okay. on the doors. And Ricky and I would go to lunch in that thing, man. And we, we would, uh, you know, back then we were just young racers. We loved to, to, uh, we were proud about it. Right. So we, we would do that. I, I can't see myself doing that now, but we, we did then. And we had a, um, we actually had a tractor trailer. Um, and we would, um, you know, that's that's in large part what we what we traveled in was uh we would be in the suburban and and uh, go to the racetrack as a team and uh you know we had the tractor trailer at that point in time and you know that was the days back then when there was a combination of v6s uh and v8s as as you'd well remember Mm -hmm. and if you had a v6 you got a little bit of a weight break um you know, and um, so it was um, interesting times. We ran both uh, V6. We ran uh, Buick V6s, and we ran small block Chevy V8s. Well, were you building those engines, or were somebody else doing them at that time then? That was a combination of both. Um, in some cases, um, we built them. In other cases, uh, we had another uh, engine company that did the work, and then I would tune them at the racetrack. That's really where I started most of my my experience from racing has really been working on the race cars from an engine perspective and uh and and tuning the engines at the racetrack gotcha so after that act tour and all that that you had going on what was the next step where did you guys go racing i guess it'd be after 89 you know we had good success there 1991 ricky started his own race team and you know, we had a, uh, a really a, a hugely successful year that year. Um, won, I don't know, something like uh, over 10 races out of 23 in the uh, NASCAR Bush North Series. And uh, that's when Ricky won the, the 1991 Oxford 250, which would stand as one of my, you know, certainly all-time favorite race wins. Uh, that was, uh, you know, just a... As a kid, we went there every year uh, and saw the the professional teams from the the um, you know the Bush Grand National Series in the South go up there. Butch Lindley, you know Robert Presley, Jeff Bodine, you name it, and uh, just that was a great win and uh, stands in memory. You'll never forget that one. So the o- Oxford 250 is like what's considered the Daytona 500. Right. right, but in the Northeast. I had read that yeah. in one of the articles that I read preparing for this show that Scott referred to that as the Daytona 500 of, you of know, the Northeast. Up north, yeah. Yeah, well, congratulations on that. That was a big deal. That was early. So that was your first year or the first year Ricky had a team, his own that team? That was the first year, yeah. He had a team, and then from there, you know, he got with that success in ball, you know, uh, J&J Racing and uh, – I believe uh, Bill Papke was one of the uh, the owners there. Uh, had uh, had gotten you know with Ricky and, and in 1992 that was Ricky's rookie season in the Bush South Series. And uh, you know from there that really got to where uh, you know by running down there 
that was with DuPont sponsorship. If you if you remember that, hey Mike, that was the it was the purple ninety nine uh, that was sponsored by DuPont, and that was the year before the rainbow colors and uh, and DuPont sponsoring Jeff Gordon. I you know that's about the time I, I for some reason I thought Ricky had been around before, but we started about the same time. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. when Ricky came south, did you come with him? That first year, no. I um, you know. We had our, I was working at our machine shop in Maine and, and things were going quite well. Um, he also ran a partial schedule uh, in the north and I helped head that up um, with, um, you know, with, with a, a crew that, that Ricky put together. You know, we all kind of worked together at that point and made some of the races in like the New Hampshire, what was then New Hampshire International Speedway, or now we know as Motor Speedway. Yeah, so that, that you know, that is a big racetrack. Loud. So the, the New Hampshire Speedway, has it been there in some capacity for like years and years? And then they, you know, before they started racing cup? You know, yeah, if, that was, it was 1990, I think, was the first year of cup, wasn't it, Mike? And prior to that, it was called Briar Motorsport Park. And it was like a five-eighths mile oval that also had like a road course. So here's a here's a real old story for you, Scott and Jeff, both. Mm -hmm. My father, Russ Wallace, yeah. told us a story. We lived in St. Louis, Missouri, and him and some of his buddies went to that, what we call Loudoun or New Hampshire. Right. When it was that, what did you just call it, Scott, Briar Motorsports Patch or? Park, or, yeah, park. yeah. It was a motorcycle track. They they ran big motorcycle races up there. Also, I mean, probably in compare in compatible. My dad, I, I just I remember that still to this day. He goes, "Oh, I've been to Loudon before. I raced there before." Is and I went, "Oh, oh yeah. my gosh!" <laughs> and it was like in 190 whatever, you know. But, but it was uh, a different place, right? It was same a... same location, same plot of ground, yeah. uh, just in a different format. But uh, it was it was a big annual event up there, and. Uh, you know, besides the racing that we've all done up there, I've watched they've had road course motorcycle races up at that place. And pretty exciting. Really, very exciting. So uh, we'll jump off of that. And getting back to you guys were running, a, you were at the machine shop. It was going well. You're running a north program, a limited program for Ricky, kind of spearheading it for him. He'd come back up, run now and then. He was down south. And uh, how long did that type of program work for you? How long did you stay up? in the Northeast and, and race up there. You know, and then really in 1993, you know, Ricky was running with uh, the 99 team. And, you know, at that point he was like, man, can you, can you come down and, um, you know, I'll fly it to the, uh, to the track and, you know, I can use some help at the track during, you know, for the, for the race event. So I'm like, you know, I, I talked to, uh, you know, my buddy, Dave, you know, McMaster that I was working with and, uh, and his partner, Marty Butler. And they were like, they were, they were on board with, um, you know, giving me that freedom. So anyway, I would fly commercial any given week to wherever we were going. And I would tend to the engines, um, you know, at the track. And as you remember, then it was like Thursday afternoons, a lot of times were just inspection. So I'd get there and um, I'd like I'd do the maintenance on the engine, change valve springs, uh, look everything over, get everything ready to go. 
and then go through inspection and, uh, and then we'd be on track on Friday, and, you know, and, and practice qualify and then race on Saturday. So we did that the end of 93 and uh, actually, you know, really hit on a lot of good things that year um, as the season progressed and, and Ricky ended up finishing second in points, I believe it was in 93 um, and really had a, we're, we're closing the gap big time and we were really, really pretty strong and competitive uh, that second half of the season. And then um, that's really when he wanted to start his own team and uh, he was, um, you know, gracious enough to offer me an opportunity to be a, a minority owner. And so I, I took that. Uh, Hold that thought uh, right there. That's, that a, chance. that's a good place to come back. We we'll need pause. Break. We'll come back. We're talking to Scott Maxim, director of powertrain for Hendrick Motorsports. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. On April 4th, 1976, Cale Yarborough, racing for Junior Johnson at the time, beat Richard Petty to the checkered flag after leading 360 four laps of the Gwyn Stanley 400 at North Wilkesboro. And four miles down the street, Robert Handy Camping was born that very same year. Family owned and operated since 1976 in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Mama, Scott and Robert are always happy to take care of all your camping needs. With coach brands like Flagstaff and Salem and every part your camper may need. Handy Camping is located at 4387 US 421 in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Race fans See you there. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Handy Camping Center, 4387 U.S. 421 in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Family owned and operated since 1976. Coach brands such as Flagstaff and Salem and every part your camper may need. Handy Camping Center, proud to have welcomed NASCAR back to North Wilkesboro this past weekend. Today's guest, Scott Maxim, director of powertrain for Hendrick Motorsports. Sports. He is from the state of Maine. He was working with Ricky Craven back in the day. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, I'm excited. It's getting to the point that I'm remembering these things now. And Scott, t take us right back to where we're talking. Ricky decided he was going to own his own team, asked you to be a partner in it. Take it from there. Yeah, well, that was 19. Uh, that was the end of 93. And we were building for the uh, start of the 94 season. So crazy to think back then that uh, we started a team with 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 a basically a box of tools uh, four jack stands and a jack and uh, we we got a lot of volunteer help and 
you know, Ricky and I just, we were working seven days a week, you know, 16 hours a day, probably uh, without exaggeration. And credit to our families and wives for, uh, and everybody for, for tolerating us. But, uh, you know, it took that commitment to get something off the ground and running. And, you know, we, we won a couple races that year. We won at Hickory and uh, Nazareth, Pennsylvania, um, and really had a, uh, a long, uh, successful season ended up lo- uh, finished second in points again. Um, and lost to uh, David green, uh, with, I think Bobby Labonte's team. If you remember that, uh, the is, Slim yeah. Jim car. Slim Jim car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we, we came so close and we had a couple mechanical, you know, things that occurred during the course of the year that man, we'd love to go back and like, you know, correct and fix. We had a, a heat exchanger fail and um, a water to oil heat exchanger fail in South Boston that cost us some points. And we had a shock mount fail in Michigan. Both of those we were running quite well um, that uh, that had an impact on our overall season tally in that respect and of course back then you know the every race mattered equally and every position you know mattered from daytona all the way through to the end Mm -hmm. so all those all those things mattered but again it was a great great opportunity to continue to learn and understand and grow as a team Uh, we learned that the thing that i enjoy most about is that team still gets together uh, on occasion, we celebrated, I think, like our 20th and 25th reunion for, um, you know, for that 94 season. And everybody that was a part of that team says that uh, it was some of the most memorable and enjoyable and satisfying uh, times of their life. And they never worked harder, but they never got any more joy than what they got you know, was working together right there because we were truly a group that was, everybody was committed uh, to a common goal and purpose and working together. Well, it certainly sounds that way. I mean, you took it, basically started a brand new race team. You won two races, you finished second in the points. You have identity, you kind of identified why you finished second and didn't win, but my gosh, you got to be really happy with that. That was a, quite the performance and uh to have a group of guys as you say seems things are a little different today back then uh, and i say use the word back then in that era everybody raced or was involved in racing because they wanted to be they wanted to be part of it you know the crew guys wanted to they wanted to be on a race team it wasn't just a job it wasn't a payroll type thing and so uh congratulations yeah i mean you guys got to be very happy with that type of success in a one-year deal well, it was, and then that provided an opportunity for Ricky uh, with Larry Hedrick Motorsports, if you remember. That was the 41 team out of uh, Statesville. i, I, I got to tell you this, just to chime in. We're, I'm leaving Wilkesboro the other day. Guy walks up, taps me on the shoulder, looks me square in the eye, goes, Hey, Mike, I don't know if you know me. He says, I'm Larry Hedrick's son. <laughs> I've, I oh, fell no through kidding. the floor. Yeah, and I... I said, oh, my God, Larry was a cool guy. I really enjoyed hanging at the time we had. I never raced for him, but he was he was quite the character to me, you know, and uh, had a great time. But when you just mentioned his name, made me— Small world, right? It was small world, that whole six degrees of separation world we, we talk about. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, he Ricky went to drive for uh, Larry Hedrick. 
Yeah, so Ricky did that, and then um, you know we we ran our Bush Series team part time uh, that year, 1995, and then I went up later that year to um, yeah, crazy to think you know how things were, but back then the single car team. Uh, I went up there to, to be team manager and engine tuner, and uh, that I always think of that and kind of kind of laugh because man, those sorts of you know, the diversity for everything now, you're right. We're all much more specialized and the sport has advanced so much, but, uh, but back then, you know, you, you had to fill a lot of different roles. And, and you're saying uh, you went, so, uh, you went to the Larry Hedrick team and worked for, with Ricky up there. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That was 96. And, um, so that was, that was a great opportunity to, you know, kind of hone the management skills and people and just working together uh, along with, again, you know, it was really all about technically was about, you know, working on race cars, building strong and fast race cars, and then tuning engines and doing the best we could at the racetrack. How were you gaining your tuning knowledge? Was it just by trial and error? Basically, you were at the racetrack all the time, or were you uh, in an engine shop tuning, you know, dyno and stuff? How, how did you gain, continue to expand your knowledge? You know, at that point in time, it was really a lot of, you know, I knew enough people, stayed close to people, tried to read um, and and paid attention. And, you know, as well was working on the race cars overall, right? Anything from for a period of time, you know, we all fill different roles, right? On the pit crew with, you know, changing tires, carrying tires, you know, what whatever may have been, been needed at that point working on the cars and setups and all, but certainly I did realize that, uh, as, as time went on my area that I was most knowledgeable of and, and could contribute the most was, was from an engine perspective. So, you know, once I could focus on that, I knew that, uh, I knew that I was probably in my place where I was providing my most value. I got you. So you're working at Hedrick's. You're the general manager slash engine tuner, jack of all trades at that time. And where does it go from Larry Hedrick's, Hedrick's program? How did how did that work? First of all, how did did you guys have some success? Run decent? How? Yeah, you know we really good. Actually, we started that year, and um, we were we had you know a lot of good runs. We were I think in our eighth race of the year, we were fourth in points. Oh, yeah. And had going a couple top threes. Um, things were really going good for a single car team. We um, we were putting together a great team. We had um, uh, Tommy Baldwin had come on board as we didn't. I don't think if you remember back then, we didn't really have what was called a term uh, car chief. But really, that was what Tommy was. He was like our lead mechanic back then. What we would think of as a car chief now. We had uh, and. You know, I hired uh, Tommy from uh, uh, Ray Evernham because of our DuPont relationship. You know, Ricky and Jeff Gordon were were good friends. And then, you know, I got to know Ray a bit at that same point in time. And Ray had let me know, like, hey, this Tommy Baldwin's a pretty sharp guy, um, you know, if, if you're looking for somebody. So I talked to him. He came on board. And, uh, and then he knew, um, you know, he knew of a couple other folks 
that ended up hiring. And that was like uh, uh, Kevin Bono Mannion, who, uh, you know, is. Um, Kevin just happened to win his truck one country, this weekend at yeah, Wilkesboro, yeah. right? So, so Bono was, you know, all these, all these guys were from the modified ranks in New York, but boy, they were, you know, they were high level racers. And, um, and we hired, I don't know, you may know of Gary Putnam. Gary's been a crew chief and, and worked, uh, um, with, uh, Chip Ganassi racing and track house now for years, but he's, he's, uh, you know, another really switched on and, uh, uh, quality racer so we had a we had a heck of a team that we were putting together and fourth in points and then if you remember that that talladega rack uh when ricky got up into the catch fence and uh, was injured uh had a head injury back then which we know so much more of now than we did about that then but that was so scary um and that certainly that from the point of recovery and getting getting back on track you know we um we we still we did well but but that certainly you know we lost some momentum right there well that makes sense he was he was out for a while right i mean it's his his road to recovery was pretty long as i recall he you know i think if we knew then what we know now he would have been out longer but uh, i think he he ran um Ron Hornaday actually qualified the car. Ricky, uh, Ricky started the race, and then uh, Ron got in. And then I think right after that, Ricky got right back in the car. But uh, boy, back then we were just nobody knew, and it was just powering through the, you know, you tried to power through the injury like you would, you know, with a, with a, you know. A, yeah, a sore uh, shoulder or something. You can't. Yeah, you, you can't do that. You can't. I got to tell you the story, guys, anymore. because it fits in so perfect. On Sunday, this past—I'm sorry, this past Saturday—I ran into Ricky Craven. He, we own some property, adjoining property up in Landis, North Carolina. I oh, was, yeah. I was up there doing some work. He's over at his his little hangout shop, car lot, I call it. <laughs> and I see him. I walk. I, and I'm waiting for a guy, so we go over and talk. And there's some gentleman there, and. We're standing there, and we're just BS, and somehow we got on the conversation of racing hurt. Yeah. I don't know what brought it up. I can't, but, and uh, we looked at each other, square in the face, Ricky and I, and says, boy, we did some stupid stuff back in the day, (laughs) meaning we we raced hurt. (laughs) Yeah. You know, today, drivers and teams, more teams are acceptable for a driver says, I'm hurt, to give them a grace period to get well again. Right. Back in the day... And Scott, tell me if you think I'm saying this wrong. You didn't tell anybody you were hurt. You hit it the best you could because number one, they'd replace you, right? Or you know, you're oh, you're, you're just you're a sissy. You you know, you're not tough enough. <laughs> he's you know. soft. Yeah, he's soft. Yeah. But uh, it's odd. We're talking about this now because Ricky and I just just talked about it uh, on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. We've come yeah. a long way. We have. It's, it's amazing. And somebody, we were talking, comparing, we were comparing head injuries is what we were doing <laughs> and how they affect yeah. each one of us differently. But, uh, so, uh, well, let's go back to Ricky getting in the grandstands. He's hurt. He's out. And that year continues at that point. Uh, Hornaday is out of in the car and what went on from there with your well, career? We were, that was really where, what led us to 100 Motorsports at that point. It, it did, you know, there was enough success there that, 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 
that provided an opportunity for uh, Ricky to come to Hendrick Motorsports, and and that's where you know at that point, I mean, I was so committed to him. We were together, you know, and, and had leaned on each other so much. You know, that was uh, you know I made that that move with him uh, to Hendrick Motorsports. And that's a nice deal, though, right? I mean, you guys grew up together. You raced together. You try. I mean, up till you're at the top of the sport. Hendrick Motorsports. What year was that? That was 1996. Uh, at the end of 1996, and that was, you know, that's really where I got to. I'll, and I'll never forget this one here. You know, I, another one of my mentors uh, and somebody that has helped along, impacted my life, would be Randy Dorton and. Uh, you know, I had a meeting with Randy. It was really a job interview. And I showed up one day at, you know, I don't know, like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and things were kind of winding down. I, I got in his office, and we just started to talk. And we talked about racing and life, and and um, I was so at ease with him. Uh, and time flew by, and it was like two hours later I left. And I'll never forget, I, I left and I was like, wow, man, I should have been here. I could have been here a long time ago. I just knew right then that I had found a home. Um, and it was, it was a place that had the, uh, the character, uh, the values, the, the, the things that he spoke of, you know, I, they mattered to me as well. And it really just, you know, I knew that, 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 and, and, and really I, from him personally, I just, it was an immediate connection and, uh, it's always left an impression. On That's me. the same feeling that most guests get when they're on our show, Mike, this yeah, is a good yeah. spot. This is a good spot. For our <laughs> We're talking to the director of powertrain for Hendrick Motorsports. He's Scott Maxim. You're listening to fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the speed sport podcast network powered by my race pass and NASCAR digital media. On April 4th, 1976, Cale Yarborough, racing for Junior Johnson at the time, beat Richard Petty to the checkered flag after leading 364 laps of the Gwynn Stanley 400 at North Wilkesboro. And four miles down the street, Robert Handy Camping was born that very same year. Family-owned and operated since 1976 in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina, Mama, Scott, and Robert are always happy to take care of all your camping needs. With coach brands like Flagstaff and Salem and every part your camper may need. Handy Camping is located at 4387 US 421 in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Race fans, see you there. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Handy Camping Center, 4387 U.S. 421 in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Family owned and operated since 1976 with coach brands such as Flagstaff at Salem and every park your camper may need. Handy Camping Center, proud to have welcomed NASCAR back to the North Wilkesboro Speedway. What a weekend. We're talking to the director of powertrain for Hendrick Motorsports. He's Scott Maxim on the line. Once again, Here's Mike Wallace. Well, Scott, as we always say, we're going to run out of time, so we can't do that. But I do want to bring up, you mentioned Randy Dorton, the uh, great Randy Dorton, and you talked about how you felt uh, a sense of a place you needed to be. But one of my sources tell me that Randy taught you something way more and way deeper than the engine tuning. He told me, he t- I was told he taught you how to drink wine. Is there any, oh, tr- yeah. any truth to that? <laughs> Yeah, yes, there is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Randy, um, you know, Randy uh, had a love of wine, and, and we were at an age, uh, and Jeff Andrews and I, Jeff's now our current president, general manager at Hendrick Motorsports, but uh, Jeff, Randy, and I spent a lot of time together on the road and traveling, and especially when we'd go out to, uh, uh, to Napa for the uh, Sonoma race. You know, we would. Um, we, we would learn and boy, we were at that age, you know, when we were young enough and impressionable, um, we would, we just enjoyed that time together and learned uh, so much from Randy. And yeah, we very much, uh, enjoy and have so many great memories of, uh, of enjoying some grapes with Randy. Ah, oh, there you go. Some that's grapes. Good. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I find it very easy to drink wine myself. You yeah. just, you know, you pour it in the glass and then you just open your mouth and pour it in. Well, I, <laughs> I, I'm not a, a wine connoisseur by any chance, but uh, Scott might re- remember it. I don't know. I drove for a gentleman by the name of Fred Biaggi. We one day told oh, him yeah. in 2000. Yeah. And Fred's warehouse is in Napa Valley. Oh, no and they cater to the wine industry, yeah. you know, and they then they opened a big facility for Behringer. So he's a. He knows everything about wine, so if I'd ever go out there, or he would always bring wine to the racetrack. And uh, it's a good guy to know. Yeah, and he says we made the, <laughs> the the oddest connection one night on wine in a rainout situation in Kentucky. We sat there and drank this like really elaborate bottle of wine, and we ate a box of chocolate Hostess donuts along with it. <laughs> he, he says this has got to be about as redneck as it gets, but it tastes really good. <laughs> So we got we got past the wine story. So pull us up to, uh, I guess you'd say, I mean, you, you were at Hendrick Motorsports already. Uh, Ricky stays at Hendrick Motorsports for how we need to include him real quick. How much longer does he stay at Hendrick Motorsports? Well, you know, then, you know, unfortunately, right, had a couple of uh, uh, vicious hits back before soft walls. And Texas was a really tough one mm-hmm. uh, when, um, when wrecked in practice. And that was, boy... I just remember back then, I mean, we, um, we had finished one, two, three in Daytona. Uh, that was our first race at Hendrick Motorsports, man. We finished one, two, three in Daytona. Well, I bet that was memorable, uh, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That was, it it was just, then we had some other good runs to start the year and, you know, it was practices were so intense because we're, we're just trying to, to, to climb up that that leaderboard you know and uh and you know if you remember turn four at texas that first configuration the banking would fall away mm-hmm. and the car would get loose and it would come around and, and that's what happened there 
and uh, he hit the um, outside wall, driver's side, flat, and uh, that was a really vicious hit. And yeah, that was tough, boy. Seeing your seeing your buddy get airlifted off, um, and, and we've got to get the spare car ready to go. Stay focused on you know what our our team, even though our our team, our thoughts are with Ricky, but you know, but we also have a job to do, and uh, you know, we're we're trying to stay focused on that, sure. but, but also keeping priority and and uh, and and prayers for. Uh, for you know for him and, and family so that was tough time um and um well, you let's know jump off of that and move forward from it we don't need to harp on that 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 wasn't a good time so what what was the uh why i didn't let you finish i asked when i guess that was about the time ricky was done Henry i reckon so yeah yeah well he had he had come back and then but then he stepped out of the car in early 98 because he had you know, post-concussion uh, symptoms that, again, we didn't know what it was back then like we know now. Um, so, yeah, he, uh, boy, it was, it, was a, it was a challenging time uh, for so many folks. Um, but it was, you know, it, it required that we, we stayed professional and true to, you know, our responsibilities um but uh, but boy a tough tough times we did come back he came back in 98 and we um had won the poll in new hampshire that was probably our highlight of that year you know at that point was special you know at that point kind of a homecoming race um put a lot of effort into that everybody did um so that was that was certainly a memorable time so how about scott maxim where do you go from that point ricky's uh, you know career maybe changed up a little bit there where do you ha where and how do you continue to expand in hendrick motorsports really that was just where you know randy um you know as as anybody would know one he was a great uh leader and visionary and understood people well he also he wanted to be able to to delegate his responsibilities and grow and so he, he distributed off a lot of his previous responsibilities to uh, Jeff Andrews in the uh, engine shop with the engine builders at that time, and then myself at the racetrack. So that's really where I'd become like headed up and helped lead the, um, you know, all the, the track uh, engine tuners and, and the engine, the engine department, basically in terms of like the the track support uh, and, and take care of anything that would occur at the tracks. So that's, that's really I carried that role working with our with our folks really for over the next 20 years. And I love that because it was for me, it was a great combination of working on engines, working together as part of a team, both at the shop, but then also going to the track during the weekend, you know, basically building up your you know, spending all week preparing uh, with a focus on the next race and then putting everything together with a game plan to go to the track to compete to do our very best and and as always you, you know how it is you you find things that you need to do better um and i love that iterative process of assessing what we did understanding what we did well and what we need to do better and then you know working on that to improve and when you race 38 times a year 
you can immediately put that into place. Uh, and I love that, that part to be able to, you know, every time we go to the racetrack, we get a report card and, you know, that's like instant gratification in terms of your, your work and your effort. And from there, we can make immediate change to apply to try to do better. And we love that. I love that. and did that for a long time. So talk about immediate change, just a quick story. Is an organization, and I believe I use the word as big as Hendrick Motorsports, which is a, you know, it's a four car team and a lot of employees there. Can it change on a dime due to performance? Meaning if you guys see something, can, can you get it switched right away? Can you make that instant change or is it, what's that old story? It's a big ship. It takes a long time to turn it. Right. What do you think? Well, there definitely is. I mean, there is a balance of of trying to implement change as quickly as possible, but also, you know, it does take so much more effort to do so. You have to be more certain that the change you're making is is the direction to go. Uh, so I do think we have to. We that does slow us down a bit. Uh, or when I say us, I wouldn't want to speak for for us as a as a as a race team overall. But from an engine perspective, um, you know, we have to be certain of the changes that we are making. And you know, with the way the the format of racing is right now, and, and the rules are, we also have to be. Uh, you know, aware of that. And that does slow down the ability to change. You know, currently we have to run engines, multiple races. Um, so we have, we have to run for this year. We've got to run a, an engine that has raced previously 18 times. Um, so in other words, we've got, uh, almost half the season, we have to run an engine that has run a race. So, you could think of it that, you know, you could basically take a fresh build and you'd have to run that again uh, at least one time. And what that does, though, is it limits your ability for change, right? And it takes a bit longer. The other thing, too, as you well know, the format of racing right now with 20 minutes of practice with a limited ability to work on the race car really makes us have to go to the racetrack with as certain a package as possible with uh, without as much opportunity to try something and then revert back if if we you know for some reason didn't like what we saw so that that what that does mean is we have to be more certain about everything that we do when we go to the track Gotcha. So, because we're running out of time here, I want to know, and Jeff wants to know, he's the one that actually brought it up. You guys had just this incredible all-star weekend at North Wilkesboro. You won everything. won everything, meaning both races. So, at Hendrick Motorsports, is there any form of cool celebration or anything that takes place on a race win? Or Did you guys celebrate anything today or anything coming up? Or you just go back to work and work hard to win another one? Well, I think over time we've we've learned that we do need to appreciate and and celebrate and enjoy the race wins because it's it provides the fuel and the passion to to drive to do that again. Uh, I think we all love what we do, so our natural inclination can sometimes be just to uh, 
to put focus on what it what it will require to do that again but you know to be most healthy i think we we do have to have that balance of embracing the moment so yeah a couple of things there we've got um you know we've got a tradition where um the um the, the car shops purchase um uh, biscuits on Tuesday morning, so we'll have that. Uh, there'll be some some biscuits uh, tomorrow morning that across campus everybody will have. And uh, I think also this week we've got uh, the Victory Bell, which uh, was a uh, it, it's a a bell goes round to the shop, and usually the the driver and the crew chief, um, along with some team members of the wing team, will go around to the entire campus gives an opportunity to shake hands and say thank you uh, to uh, to everybody on campus and to enjoy uh, the uh, the moment together so that'll be taking place I think with uh, with William uh, and uh, and Rudy and the 24 team uh, for the uh, the Darlington win that'll be tomorrow and then really other than that it's uh, Charlotte week so there's a lot of folks that are in town for the race. So we've got a lot of tours coming through and, uh, and a lot of, um, a lot of activity uh, to, to help be prepared for and looking forward to seeing more and more of our folks come out at the, uh, at the Charlotte race this weekend. Absolutely. Congratulations on your success at uh, North Wilkesboro. And yeah, big race weekend in Charlotte, North Carolina with the Coke 600. But here's a question. Having talked about racing for the past hour or so, uh, the Red Sox are seven and a half games back in the AL East behind the Rays. What do you think about that? Oh, man, they are. um, You know, I think the Sox are overachieving this year relative to what we would have thought in the um, during the offseason. But the Rays are—they've just been—they've uh, been playing stellar ball. So. They've been one of the best teams in baseball. Yeah, the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But the American League East is always one of the top divisions in baseball. You, you got the Rays. The Orioles are playing much better ball. So I think we're Red bringing Sox this up because uh, because Scott, uh, Scott's Scott a big is fan, a bit right? of a Red Sox fan. Come yeah. on, yeah, he's, that's he's okay. from Maine. When you grow up in Maine, you're a Red Sox fan. Gotcha. Oh yeah, yeah, Red Sox Patriots. Yeah, yeah so you got to be a Patriots fan there too, right? Then. Yeah. 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 Well, Scott, real quick, because we're about out of time, but we've just talked about your career in racing. But what do you like to do? And I know you're at the racetrack every weekend. I assume you're at the racetrack every time I see you, you're there. Uh, what other do you have any hobbies any any passions that you do other than <laughs> or have any time to you do know, anything else there there's very little time i know there i i preach to everybody and we all work together to try to have a good balance in life um i love what i do so you know it is uh, i could i could do it you know 24 hours a day and enjoy it but it's not healthy uh, also, and we've got to have some family time. So really a lot of um, my focus when, when not working and, and racing is to uh, spend time with, uh, you know, my, my wife and family. And I, as, as get older, do want to, um, you know, become a bit more diversified. But, uh, boy, it is hard to be your best and compete and uh, and take on other uh, other areas of interest too so it's um, I, I i just still love love racing and arming up to go do our best each week okay final question has nothing to do with what we just talked about but it is racing do you have and jeff if you don't know this hendrick motorsports chevrolet nascar goodyear 
are taking a NASCAR-style car to Le Mans. Oh, yeah? I believe it's called Garage 56 or some some number. It's a special class. Yeah. They've been working on it, and that car is getting going to be going to Le Mans or just shipped to Le Mans. Scott, do you have anything to do with that? Or are you going to be attending that race by any chance? No, I'm not uh, going to be attending. I would love to go, um, but we do have Sonoma that weekend, and I think that falls in that category that I just uh, just spoke of, right? You know, we um, we have what's our core business, and that's um, that's that uh, that for us and, and me uh, that uh, the race in Sonoma. But uh, the we've got a great team put together, and they are loading up and heading out. I think it's uh, next uh, next week. And they'll be gone 15 days. Um, we um, we've got a great uh, great overall program. I know the uh, the car looks beautiful. It's got a lot of great technology in it that um, maybe at some point in time we'll we'll find uh, you know a, a ways to introduce that into uh, you know the uh, NASCAR racing in terms of some of the electronics, paddle shifters. Um, you know, the uh, telemetry and a lot of those things that I think will be, they'll add to, um, you know, add to the racing broadcast and the fan interest in so many ways. Well, sounds good. And I want to thank you for taking your time. You've taken a lot of time to uh, explain your career and your your involvement with Ricky Craven, Hendrick Motorsports, and we wish you nothing but the best. Congratulations yeah. on this great year you guys are having. Best of luck uh, for the rest of the season, Scott. Yeah. So, uh, well, thank you guys very much. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, you know, certainly love to say thank you to all the folks that uh, that work in our engine department, and uh, and everybody that we work with, all our race teams. Uh, we're coming up on uh, 500 wounds as an engine department overall. We're at 493 right now. Wow! Congratulations! And, uh, That's pretty impressive, isn't it? We've been blessed to have uh, so many great teams, drivers, um, and crew chiefs that, uh, you know, that we get the honor to put our engines uh, in their cars. And so I just want to say thank you to everybody for that. Well, I'm sure they all appreciate that. I know as a as a driver, I would have loved to drive something with a Hendrick Motorsports uh, engine in it. Maybe know? it's so, not too late, Mike. Yep, maybe it's maybe not. not too late, huh, right? <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, let's all get together and drink a bottle of wine. Or there, we'll do that. Or we'll, 10. We'll, 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 <laughs> we'll get an old pickup truck, come over and sit in the parking lot of Hendrick Motorsports and drink some wine. How's that? <laughs> there goes Scott Maxim. You're, you've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.